yeah, uh, yeah. Phone ringing for the work. They waiting on me like the 15 and the first. I'm killing competition, put them bitches in the hearse. Been diagnosed with a sick flow, with a nurse. Yeah, do it for the city, but the hood getting turned. With the money going around like an offer in the church. Shit, this shit was a race, promise I'ma finish first. Taking shots from my spot, got me leaning like I'm Dirk in the playoff. Bitch, I want that Mark Cuban payoff. Fly as a G6, waiting for the takeoff. Hustle like this only Welcome six to an special edition. Special Christmas edition of the Bubble at Sports podcast, everybody. I promised this last week, and here we are. This is going to be another list of my favorite moments, and this week's edition will be get ready for it, headphone users. Get ready for it because this is my favorite part of doing these. It's going to be my top five favorite sports moments of 2019. Now, when we go back, to all the moments in sports in 2019, there's a shitload of them. Like, I was trying to look back because, you know, you, your boy forget. It's, if you told me something happened in January, I've been like, nah, dude, can't remember that. So going through all the lists and, and having to ask Eddie, too, to say, hey, man, what are your favorite moments? That way I can get an idea of, like, did I miss any moments that we enjoyed together that like you enjoyed, but I may have enjoyed, I just forgotten. So we went through that whole process and there are some on this list where I was like, uh, actually, like, yeah, like, thank you to Eddie for, for doing that for me. Uh, but we're going to do top five. There's so many moments, but to just keep, keep it simple, sweet, uh, we're going to make it the top five. So at number five. Liverpool's comeback against Barcelona in the second leg of the Champions League semifinals. Uh, I had to ask Eddie for this one because when he told me uh, the Liverpool game where they came back down 3-0, I immediately thought, I was like, how could I forget that moment? Not only just because of the fact that I'm a Real Madrid fan. So anytime you see Barcelona choke, it's a fun time. But the story behind it with Liverpool coming up short in the Champions League final a year beforehand, Mo Salah getting hurt with his shoulder, you know, hey, hey, Sergio Ramos, we don't talk about that, but hey, Real Madrid, they ended up winning the Champions League final, got that trophy, added another one to their historic reign, Um, and Liverpool, with Jordan Klopp, it's always like they make it so close. They just come up short every single time. And that year's team, 2019's Champions League Liverpool team, was amazing to watch. They were so fast. They were so athletic. Mohamed Salah was one of the best players in the world. You have a stacked team in Mane and and Firmino. You have talent across the board and a phenomenal coach that you can get behind. So they go down 3-0 in the first leg of the Champions League semifinal. And... They're going into that second leg knowing that Mohamed Salah and Firmino are ruled out due to an injury. So it's their backup guys really having to step up and do it on the road so or do it at home. So what they have to do is score four goals instead of just three to tie it. They have to get that fourth goal and try to stop Barcelona as much as possible. They open up the game within the first, I believe, 10 minutes with a goal from Origi. And to to get off to that hot start. And then they kind of just go silent for the rest of that first half. 
it was kind of like, uh, they're going to put up a fight, but it's probably just too late and too big of a deficit. And then they just got rolling in the second half. Barcelona looked dominated. They still had some chances. Um, Allison, the goalkeeper for Liverpool, had probably the best game of his life. The man was making saves from shots of, of Messi, from all those different guys on the Barcelona front. And it was just easy for him to make those uh, saves. Composure-wise, in a hostile type of situation where your season's on the line, the one tournament that matters for your whole club. And you don't want to get the narrative of just, we come up short again. We we have the talent, yet we just can't get it done late in this tournament. For him to make those saves, and then for the goals to continue to come late, and you know the moment that we're going to talk about specifically in this game. If you don't remember it, I'll remind you. Alexander-Arnold's corner to Origi. And it was a surprise corner. He sees that Barcelona's defense, their whole team is oblivious to Origi being completely uncovered in front of the goal on the near side. And he just sends it immediately quick. And Origi has the instinct to say, I'm open. I just got to get the shot down. And he hits it to the far post. Beautifully done. And... Barcelona is caught off guard completely. And that's how not only do they get the lead for Barcelona, but that's how they end up winning that game to move on in the Champions League tournament and end up winning the tournament itself later on in the year. You have all these different guys that are not the the star of the team, the goalkeeper, the 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 strikers, these guys are put in a tough situation where it's like you're not expected to succeed at all to come back in this game. Yet with Salah, Firmino down, your two best players, Mane was still there and he contributed a lot. But for Origi to come up big in that situation twice, to score two goals, to open it and to finish it, was an amazing thing to watch. It's only the third team in Champions League history to come back 0-3 from the first leg and to win it in the second leg. A wonderful story that ended with Klopp getting finally his trophy in the Champions League for Liverpool to get that trophy in the Champions League. And that talent, that team collectively was put to good use. Let's see what happens this year going into 2020. Uh, I think the Champions League this year is wide open for any of these teams. You know, like Real Madrid's bouncing back. Barcelona is always in the mix, Liverpool, Manchester City, all these different teams. And we've seen a lot of upsets so far. So I'm excited for this now like round of 16, and we're getting closer and closer to that final. Man, it's going to be fun to watch. So at number four, the Mexico versus Ecuador game, like mid-summer, like mid-2019, that was actually the game I went to personally. It was my second Mexico game that I've ever went to. The first game was a Croatian game right before the the World Cup, where they ended up losing, but, I mean, Croatia was one of the best teams. They ended up going to the final in the World Cup, so 
credit to them. They're, they're just a great football team. Got to watch Kovacic play. Didn't get to see Modric because he had the whole ta tax fraud thing. You know, just um, we're not going to talk about it. Um, so I was excited to see the matchup against Ecuador and saying, like, that's a favorable matchup. And they're going to have a lot of their guys from their main roster, their main starting 11. They just didn't have, like, Chucky Lozano or, or Tecatito, which was tough to see because I really want to see them. But... I mean, you had plenty of guys that I love to see. Jonathan Dos Santos, Guillermo Ochoa, Papi himself, got to see him play. A very competitive game for just a friendly. I, I loved it. It was at the AT&T Stadium for the Dallas Cowboys. It's always a great atmosphere there. Getting to see the national anthem with all those different people. Amazing feeling. Always an amazing feeling. A 3-2 win for Mexico. And my favorite moment from that game was Luis El Chapo Montes with the free kick goal, beautifully done. The lift, the, the the far corner, the goalie was just too far away. And I was actually researching this, um, looking back at the games that that the uh, the Mexican national team had against Ecuador, and they actually did face them again in 2014 in AT&T Stadium. And Montes was actually, I mean, at this point he was so young, and he actually got severely hurt. In that game, it was he had to go into surgery after that, and I was like, I don't remember anything as far as that goes in in the game I went to. So I was like, wow, what a story! Like from the same team, the same stadium, five years prior, having to get ankle surgery, leg surgery, and then coming back and redeeming yourself now with with more. Emphasis on your name as one of the young stars for the Mexican national team. And you go out there and hit a beautiful free kick. And Mexico's not known for their set pieces. For him to do that perfectly. And that gave him a 3-1 lead in that game. They ended up winning, only giving up one more goal to Ecuador. A fantastic game to watch. I had a lot of fun. Man, I, I, I will go every single year to a Mexico game because... A great atmosphere, a great fan base, and great players to watch every single year. I think next year, I don't know if they've announced it officially, but they may face Italy next year at AT&T Stadium, and that's going to be a fantastic game to watch. Moving on to number three. Most of you people will not understand this. Most people will not have seen this moment because it's from the WWE, and you know me. Look, I'm a, I'm a big nerd when it comes to WWE, to wrestling in general. Uh, I actually got on TV because I went to a wrestling event. Your boy famous. Mama, I made it, okay? probably I'm probably more famous from that than I am from this podcast. But um, WWE, I finally got back into it this year, early January. Watched at the Royal Rumble, and then from that point on, I was just hooked. Now, not everything's perfect in WWE. Not everything's perfect in wrestling. I know what you're saying. It's fake. What do you want to Shut your bitch ass up, okay? It's fun to watch. I mean, like, if you get into it as far as the story goes and you appreciate that they're putting their body on the lines, if you look up, like, worst injuries in WWE and you see how they get injured during these matches, that... That's not by just doing fake shit. Like, dude, they put their bodies on the line. They have to train, and it's choreographed. It's it's put in a, a story that you have to do every single night. For a lot of these guys, they wrestle every single night on the road. They put their bodies through a lot. So appreciate that. 
And if they put up a good story behind it, if they, a, they if they push a, a, a good guy, and everyone gets behind them, the the type of crowd that gets behind that type of guy in a big platform, it's fun to to get behind. It's fun to watch. You know, we all think back to the early days when I was a kid, and most of you guys that listened to it were around my age as well. When you grew up watching WD, because it was like you thought it was real. There's so many characters you can get behind. The Undertaker, Rey Mysterio, John Cena. Like, I have that same feeling. And I've never really explained it other than that Eddie Guerrero podcast where I celebrated his birthday. And, and that feeling of being a kid again. To getting behind someone and having that same like drive or same exciting feeling. I, I get it. Like, now differently than when I did as a kid. The kid in me was just watching because it was cool to watch. You see all these guys doing flips. They you thought it was like them actually getting hurt and and punching them for real. And then you had the girls, you know, as your kid, you see the bra and panties match and you're like, ooh, so cool, right? And then now it's like wrestling for women is by far better than any men's division, really, in my opinion. Like I love watching the women's wrestle more than I do the men because they're just so much more talented than they were when I was a kid. But that appreciation has always been there for me. Now it's just in a different light. Now appreciating that they're putting their bodies on the line, they're telling a story. And if it's done right, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So the the moment that really caught my eye and just took me away was SummerSlam for WWE. And up to this point, there's about a four to five month build of this one character. He is formerly known as Bray Wyatt. Still goes by that, but this character that he introduced at SummerSlam was the Fiend, Bray Wyatt. The buildup was all because of his old character as like a cult leader behind like a family of, of two big dudes that were his cousins or brothers. I don't remember because I stopped watching at that point. And I, I was kind of hooked to that. Like, that's when I really started to go away from wrestling, but I liked the idea of that character. I was just, I didn't want to watch anything else. And the whole premise of that story was WWE's, like, storytelling, their creative um, decision-making on his character were abysmal. Like, they were terrible, and they ruined that character. So what Bray Wyatt did was go away for a very long time. He was gone for almost a year, if not more. And he came back. And he came back as like a Mr. Rogers type of character. He was just known as Bray Wyatt. And everyone's like like happy to see him back, but they're just so confused as why the, there's puppets, why there's like a like a Mr. Rogers type of feel or a Pee Wee Herman type of feel. Yet when you start watching those little skits that he did inside a, a playhouse, and he's being all jolly, he's being all happy. And and then you, you just like that one moment where he gets dark. Where he starts saying, like, that's the old me. I don't like the old me anymore. And he starts to go very dark. And those little, like, glimpses of his, like, new character of The Fiend. Where he looks like a Joker slash, like, Michael Myers, Jason type of character. And so you're hooked. You're saying, like, oh, there's, there's a two. He basically has split personalities. He's just in his own type of world. And it continued for months and months on end. They never had him fight. They never had him wrestle. He was just always doing these skits. And every single time it would get better and better. As him explaining, forget about that old character. That's the old me. Now there's a new person. And I'm here to take over. 
you know, Mr. Rogers, like, I'm here to have fun with you, but if you just let me in, there's a, a deeper message, a darker message to my character, to my personality. And I was all in on that. I mean, that was beautifully done because that was his own creative um, process. Like, he came up with that all himself along with other people around him, but that he was the main guy to create this character. And at SummerSlam, it was his first match against Finn Balor, who at this point was one of the biggest baby faces in the company. No one would boo Finn Balor. This man would smile. He would do dazzling stuff in the ring. No one hated Finn Balor. So he was the perfect guy to go into a match with to say, I'm going to ruin your, your baby face. I'm going to ruin the one good guy in your company because I'm here to make a statement. And the buildup to it was great. They got to the match. Finn Balor comes out. Everyone's cheering him. He's happy. And then the Fiend's music hit. And if you've never heard the song, it's actually a remix of his old song. Just now with a heavy metal, like, I mean, pounding metal type of thing to it. Just with the same lyrics. And this dude comes out all gear with the mask, with the the Joker slash clown type of, of attire. And what he does, and my favorite part about this is, he comes out with a lantern, which he used to do it as a cult leader because he was like a, a southern, like like from the swamp type of character with a lantern, like a regular lantern. So when he came out this time as that new character, the lantern was his old severed head of his old character. And then the light was coming through the mouth. And that looked horrible. I mean, that looked scary. And so he's making the entrance. It's all dark. There's strobe lights. Everyone's putting their, their flashes on their phones because that's what they used to do for his old character. And the theme just goes super well with it. He's walking down methodically. The strobe lights are just hitting his mask. And the close-up of his face, he's laughing a little bit as he's doing it. He has gloves that one side says hurt, one side, one side says heal. And he just puts them up against his, his ears. And he's just like freaking out because he doesn't know what to do. And that, I mean, that's just so scary to me. It's so well done. And he gets in the ring. The lights come back on. They put the camera on Finn Balor. And his face, he sold this so well. He looked scared shitless. If you've never seen this and you want to see it, I will sit. I have recorded it on my phone of that scene or, or that match itself. The build up to it too. I will send you that video because it is amazing to watch. Everyone that I've shown, they say that is awesome. Even if you've never seen wrestling before, you're just not into it, just watch that. I guarantee you, you would be hooked on that character, even though they've ruined it now. I mean, he's pretty much a laughingstock, which sucks, but that moment was like, it all came together. Like, you can say it's a big fuck you to WWE's creative, because nothing of that was done by, by them. By Vince McMahon, it was not done by anyone else. It was done by Bray Wyatt on how he wanted it done. And every little part of that match, every part of the entrances was perfectly done. I still watch it every once in a while because it just gives me the chills. If you've never seen it, man, like I I recommend it heavily. I, I hope you can watch it and say, that is awesome. Like even if you don't watch wrestling from that point on, please watch that. That is awesome. So at number two, we go back to some regular sports. It's the Raptors versus Warriors finals, the whole series itself was amazing to watch. One of the best finals I've ever seen in my life. 
so many storylines to look through. It can be broken down as either the continuation of a dynasty for the Golden State Warriors, like another ring for Durant, another ring for Kerr, Curry, Clay Thompson, even with a, a swap of new guys off the bench. They have DeMarcus, uh, DeMarcus Cousins. They, they have all these weapons. There's no reason for them to lose again or, or to lose at all. And then on the other side, you have a Raptors team that is trying to destroy a narrative of they come up short every single time. They choke in the playoffs. They could be the best regular season team out of any team in the NBA. But as soon as they get to the first round or they get past the first round to the second round, they come up short every single time. They come out flat. So going to that season, you have um, DeMar DeRozan getting traded to San Antonio for Kawhi Leonard. But it's still Kyle Lowry, it's still Siakam, it's still Van Vliet, it's all these different guys, and and they have a great regular season. Uh, It's number one in the Eastern Conference. The same story applies. And then they go to the the first round, which I believe was against the Orlando Magic. Uh, and I kept saying, like, they're going to find a way to choke. Like, there's just something about this team where I'm, that they're going to choke again. No matter what they do, they're going to choke. And, and they they went into that, that season getting rid of their head coach. They got rid of um, Dwayne Casey. And they brought in Nick Nurtz, who had no NBA head coaching experience. And that was, like, a story that no one really ever talked about, but it was always there. And going to the finals, you had Steve Kerr, who has been to the finals every year since he started, basically. And then you had Nick Nurse, who's just a young guy. He's just saying, let's have some fun. Let's go in there and see what we can do. And the stories continue. As we go into the series, the Raptors get game one. You're like, oh, shit. Like, they, we, they might have a chance here. Golden State wins game two. And you're like, oh, okay. We're going to have ourselves a series. And then we get to game five. And up to this point, Kevin Durant was nowhere to be seen because he was having a lower uh, like calf injury, like an ankle injury, and no one really knew the severity of it. And as the stories went on, they're saying, well, he's going to miss game two. He's going to miss game three. He's going get, to get, miss game four. So do we start to pressure Kevin Durant into playing? Because it's going to be a, a game seven, probably, if they keep going back and forth like this. Let's see how early we can get Kevin Durant back into this game because the this, the Warriors' offense was struggling a lot. Like they, Demarcus Cousins was not performing to the level that they expected him to be. You had Steph Curry banged up. You had Klay Thompson banged up, and you know Draymond Green. He can bring the defense, but the scoring wasn't all there. And they're getting outscored by Kawhi Leonard and this great Toronto's Raptors team. The defense by the Raptors was incredible incredible so then Kevin Durant comes out in game five after being the report say forced to play and the whole debacle after this was incredible to watch too but he tore his Achilles and he's out for the rest of the year he's still he's going to be out for the rest of this season too before he, he plays for the Brooklyn Nets next season and so game five happens and you're saying this is the end like this is, has to be the end of the Warriors dynasty. They're down 3-2 three, uh, and they have to win game 6 just to to continue this series. The the whole story behind Kevin Durant's and the coaching staff saying 
they forced him to play whether or not he was ready to go or they just threw him out there because they needed they were kind of desperate that whole thing just put everything in perspective like this is not going to be every year for the Warriors it's going to be different and game six comes around and game six is that one moment game six was one of the the, mo- the wildest games I've ever seen in the NBA it was like a movie because you all remember the Clay Thompson moment where he tears his ACL. He didn't know it at that moment. But the the horrible freak accident when he went up for a, a layup and he just landed awful, awfully on his um, on his knee. Where it, you just see it buckle. And you knew something was going to be bad because he was down for a while. He walks back to the locker room. And they go to commercial. They come back. I think they review something. I think I think they were reviewing like whether or not it was a flagrant foul, uh, flagrant foul, excuse me. Um, and he comes back. He comes through that tunnel at uh, Oracle Arena, which, by the way, was the last game ever played at Oracle Arena. Jesus Christ, I just remembered that. And he comes out of the tunnel, and everyone in that arena was balls to the wall, screaming their head off, because this was a moment out of out of a movie. Like, remember when when Kobe tore his Achilles and it was just silent? He hit those free throws and he just walked out. But the mood after that was awful. Like, it was awkward. So when Klay Thompson comes out, the crowd just erupts. He comes back, hits two free throws. Two free throws. And he gets taken out of the game, taken to the locker room. And then afterwards, we find out that he tears his ACL. That moment by itself, man was incredible and and that for me was like that's the momentum changer that for me if clay thompson's okay to go in game seven they win that series and then they're like he tears his ac i'm like shit okay um so then the raptors and the warriors go back and forth in that fourth quarter man and jesus christ what that was that a fun game to watch just as a as a fan like i wasn't cheering for anybody you can say that like you want to see the Warriors dynasty end. You want to see the Raptors finally get that win. And to see Kawhi Leonard, the, the MVP of that series, to not only win it in San Antonio, but to go to the Raptors and to finally put an end to that narrative of like they're a choking team. To finally put that in perspective for them. It was fun to watch, you know, and all the memes that came after that, like, like, what to do, baby, or like, hey, or you, what was, oh, the laugh, uh, <laughs> you know, think back to like when they started the season, they got Kawhi Leonard and he did the laugh, like, who knew that would lead to a NBA championship, but what really stands out to me and no one really talks about it is, yes, Kawhi had an amazing series, but it was the big man down low, Marcus Gasol, and Pascal Siakam that dominated the boards, dominated down low. They played some of the best games of their lives. Like Siakam, what, like he had the argument for an MVP in that finals because the dude matched up so well against DeMarcus Cousins. He had, like the Warriors had no chance in rebounding and had no chance in post points. Because Siakam was all over, and this dude was all around the perimeter. He could shoot threes, he can shoot in the post, he can get those layups, he can get those rebounds. Dude was all over the court. And then you had guys like Fred Van Vliet, you had Danny Green, you had 
um, you had Kyle Lowry, who was always known to be a choke artist in the playoffs. Like, dude would never... He had one game a couple years ago, whether or not it was a year or two ago, where he had no points in the playoffs. And remember that moment where he's shooting just shots um, after the game inside the Raptor Stadium or arena, and he's just shooting them really in the dark. Like, no one else is there because he wanted to get a shot down. That's what this led up to. All those years of disappointment, all those years of getting criticized for not being the guy. And to get his best friend, DeMar DeRozan, out of Toronto. Get the coach that was good but not great and Dwayne Casey out of there. Nick Nurse was the perfect solution for that. It all came together with him because he was so fresh. And he you've seen him. You don't expect him to be like a tough guy, but he had just enough to where... He didn't let Kawhi just take over. Like He was like, no, I'm, we're going to run my type of offense. We're going to run my type of team, and you're going to like it, Kawhi. And Kawhi just respected the hell out of that. So the Warriors to fall the way that they did and the Raptors to rise as they did, one of my favorite moments of the year. And finally, people, without a doubt, I mean, this is the first thing I wrote, and there, it's not even close to where the UFC is always great. You love to see knockouts. But I've never seen a knockout like Jorge Masvidal knee knock, like a knockout with a knee strike to Ben Askren. This is the first Masvidal fight I've ever seen. And I was a huge fan of Ben Askren. I, I have followed him ever since he was in Bellator very early on in his career of MMA. And the whole narrative of him hating Dana White for him to not be in the UFC. His first fight in the UFC finally came um, earlier in the year, or right around late 2018, I can't remember, against Robbie Lawler, which I thought was a great matchup. And that was a good fight. Robbie Lawler had Ben Askren dead to rights. Yet Ben Askren found a way out. He found a way to win that fight. So setting up this against Masvidal, who was up and coming, who's been in the UFC for so long, but never had that run, I was excited for this fight, and I was like, oh man, it's going to be great wrestling, it's going to be a great overall fight, let's see what happens. And for Masvidal, like the build-up to it was like, Masvidal hates this guy. Ben Askren is talking all this shit about his family, about his roots, like being like a Colby Covington type of build-up of a bad guy. And you just see Masvidal like lean against the cage with his hands behind his back, and the, the ref just says, let's go. And he just stands there for a second, and then he's just like, all right, loosey-goosey, dude just runs up to Ben Askren, who goes for the takedown, and knees him in the fucking forehead. I have never seen a man go limp and stiff more than I did see Ben Askren do, because that dude had the same position as far as taking it down, like he tried to wrap his, his arms around the guy. He had that with his fists closed, and just went, he just dropped like a brick. And Masvidal, who in the, the post-fight you know post fight press conference, and I'll put it in here, said, someone asked him, were those shots after the knee strike, were they necessary? And we all know, you know I love this. Maybe. They were super necessary. Super necessary. Super necessary. And, and the quote just keeps getting better. Because after that, he said this. 
there's not too many people that I've disliked. I have over 50 pro fights, and he's one of them, you know. He talked about my manhood, talked about my culture, my ethnicity. Where, where do we drop? Why do certain people get to do stuff you online? So you could do anything. Everything is cool before a fight. You're allowed to do and say whatever you want. Like other fighters are not doing, talking about people's religions, wife, even kids. That's cool. But after a fight, I'm not allowed to showboat and rub it in your face so you and guys like you could see it and be like, maybe I don't talk so much shit because when I cross one of these real motherfuckers, they're going to make me pay for it, man. They're going to embarrass the shit out of me. And it's not over for Ben either. He still has to deal with me. If I see him at Whole Foods, I'm going to still slap that dude up because I don't like him. Watch out, Whole Foods. Just saying. Might have to get an octagon. That opened my eyes to Masvidal, man. Like, I was impressed by that guy. He put down a legend in MMA. He put down a guy that is well-known around the world than Ben Askren, who was supposed to be the guy like, the guy that comes into to UFC and takes over because he, he's never been there, but he's beating everyone else around the world. This was his opportunity. He ruined Ben Askren's career. Ben Askren will be known as the guy who got, got slapped up jacked up by Jorge Masvidal and he ended up losing his next fight he's probably gonna retire I think Masvidal fucked him up that bad and this became the moment Masvidal had like is starting his Conor McGregor run the the BMF belt with Nate Diaz he ends up winning that fight it sucks to say that he won it with a doctor's stoppage of Nate Diaz Having that cut above his eye that could have really affected him. Let's see if there's a rematch. But he's won the BMF belt. He's on his way to winning his division's belt. I mean, his run is incredible right now. The dude has over like 50 professional fights. Dude came from Kimbo Slice's backyard uh, matches. He he Everything he does uh, right now, I love. It's exactly what happened with Connor a few years ago. That's how I feel about Masvidal right now. I love him. I love him as a fighter, as a person, as a character, as a personality. And watching that moment, watching that live and saying, Dear God, he has killed Ben Askren. And uh, Joe Rogan's reaction to that is just great. It's just great TV. So, Masvidal, you win not only the BMF belt, you a badass motherfucker, but you are number one on my favorite moments of 2019 list, and you deserve it, man. Hey, you know what we haven't done in a little bit? You know what he deserves? Oh, a little bit of the bubbly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, people. That's going to do it for this episode 96 of the Bubble at Sports podcast. I hope you enjoyed this list. Tell me your favorite moments of the year so far. I mean, we're reaching the end point, getting up to New Year's. I hope you had a Merry Christmas, a Feliz Navidad, Merry Chrysler to you too. Um, so we'll come back later in the week because people, guess what? We got college football to talk about. We haven't talked about college football all year long, but the playoff is here and the Ohio State University is coming to play. So we'll talk about that on Friday. Don't forget to share the podcast, to support the podcast with the subscription every month of a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars a month. Please do so. We've been waiting for that sixth member to come for a very long time now. Please do it. I would appreciate it. We're continuing this all the way up until the end of 2019, and this is going to be a great 2020 
for the Bubble Up Sports Podcast. We're going to do great things. We're going to have more guests. And by the way, listen to, to Monday's podcast with Lee Cummings. We talked about the Cowboys game. Let, like, let's get as many listens to that as possible. Man, I that was one of my favorite episodes to do. And we're going to get Lee back on the podcast. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed this. We'll come back later on to talk about the playoffs. So thank you again for listening. And we'll see you next time.